There's a Black Lives Matter episode. Do you want to talk about it? <sighs> I don't. I, I it. wish it never happened. Same. Okay, I wish so, it never happened. <laughs> so this is one of the shows I feel like real legitimate attempts to be woke. And it is so... It missed the mark by a country mile. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> it's just so bad. I don't like any of it. Everyone, this is Alex, and this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of the Good, the Bad, the Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing the first half of ABC's groundbreaking political drama, Scandal. Scandal was a guilty pleasure for millions of loyal viewers for seven seasons and turned the tide in terms of how viewers consumed and discussed television. One tweet at a time, Scandal quickly rose from a very short first season order to a network powerhouse. So what was it that made Scandal so addictive? Stay tuned. everyone here's some info on scandal the show also goes by the title the fixer in south africa it's a political drama and political thriller it was created by shonda rhimes and it aired on abc from april 5th 2012 until april 19th 2018 It lasted seven seasons and a total of 124 episodes. The series stars Kerry Washington as Olivia Pope, Tony Goldwyn as Fitzgerald Thomas Grant III, a.k.a. Fitz, uh, Jeff Perry as Cyrus Bean, Bellamy Young as Melly Grant, Scott Foley as Jake Ballard, Darby Stanchfield as Abby Whelan, Katie Lowe's as Quinn Perkins, Joe Morton as Eli, a.k.a. Rowan Pope, Olivia's father. Guillermo Diaz as Diego Munoz, a.k.a. Huck. Joshua Molina as David Rosen. George Newburn as Charlie. And Candy Alexander as Maya Lewis, Olivia's mother. 
All right. So before we launch into season one, let's talk a little bit about the like scandal and like why it's like this huge cultural artifact. So scandal is really cool because I feel like I always say that, but like it's true. Scandal is really cool because like we said in our intro, but scandal completely revolutionized how we discuss and consume television. So Twitter was still kind of new and everybody was still trying to figure out like, what do we do on Twitter? And something that had become, I think, popular circa like the Vampire Diaries was like live tweeting. Mm-hmm. But and but Scandal, um, but the thing about Scandal is like Scandal not only live tweeted, but it would then continue conversations uh, and continue conversation points like after episodes aired. Uh, it was a way to directly talk with cast and creators as well as like amongst your friends about the episode and like what happened and how the season was going so far. And that's what really um, revolutionized the series. Like, in fact, Scandal that this first season only has a seven episode order. That was it. Usually networks give you like 10 to 13 and ABC just ABC did not believe in this show so much. Like, like that was how low their confidence was in the show, that they gave it, like, seven episodes. Essentially, Scandal got that second season order because Black women and, like, uh, people on Twitter would uh, have Scandal trending, like, in high-ass numbers every single week. So that was what convinced... So that sort of, like, response and that free advertising and, like, that social media storm is what ended up getting Scandal its second season and seasons uh, thereafter. Right. I mean, and when you talk about network orders, I mean, maybe a network like Stars or HBO gives you a 10-episode first season, but ABC is, is known for giving people... 20 to 22 episodes in a first season order, right? Um, They did this with Flash Forward and um, most other shows that lasted longer than a season on that network had 22 episode orders. So when I saw this, like, I was like, confidence shaken. This is less than a third of what they normally give (laughs) for a first season. Right, which is wild. And it's, and you know, they did it because, you know, Carrie Washington was the lead, a black woman was the lead. And I remember there was a lot of talk around Scandal about diverse, diversity. But when you look at Scandal, um, Carrie Washington and Columbus Short are the only, like, visible people of color on that show. You have uh, Guillermo Diaz, but he is white Latinx. Um, He's not Matizo. So is David Rosen. He's also white. (laughs) Right. Um, He's... He's there. Every everybody else on that show is white, so it's crazy that like one visibly black woman in a cast of like what 12, 13 people, mm-hmm. um, and then suddenly it's diverse, right? And I think they could fool themselves that that was the case because she was our protagonist, right? Right. Um, I mean, we do meet her mother much later, and she becomes a 
a not a recurring character per se, but um, she guest stars, uh, you know, once every season or so. And we meet the father character, Rowan Pope, but we don't even meet him in this first season, right? Right. Um, her, she and Columbus Short, um, Columbus Short are like the only black people on the show. Columbus Short managed to fumble his own bag. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're the only two black people here. And actually watch the movie specifically because the two of them were were in it. And I hadn't really seen Carrie Washington in anything that I wanted to watch since she did the film um, Our Song. And I was impressed with her, but I wouldn't call this show diverse by any means. There's a there's a criticism, like a prevailing criticism about diversity in, in TV and film. And, and one of the criticisms that we sort of get mostly from white men, but um, that is, you know, from other people as well. This There is this criticism of like, well, if you shoehorn diversity into a show and you're just concerned about the show being diverse, well, then you won't tell a good story. Like, you'll be so wrapped up in making sure you make these quote-unquote woke points that like the story will suffer. And unfortunately, scandal is a manifestation of that. Mm, yeah, I feel that. See, this is why when I become a filmmaker, I won't be concerned about diversity. It'll be all black everything. <laughs> it's like it, it's it's really because now that like I was rewatching, I'm like, yeah, that that like scandal's biggest problem is exactly that. Like it gets so caught up in like one, being shocking for shocking's sake, and then two, making sure all the shit that they're doing is, like, hashtag woke, that, like, the story and the, 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 the characters completely suffer. They do. It's true. And it's awful because you can see it. You can see it from the beginning, and you just see it, you just see it throughout the run of the show, and it's awful to watch. Um and that's the thing that bothers me. Like, if you're going to put a black woman in this show, okay, go ahead and do that. But keep it in the formula of your basic um, political drama. Because at the end of the day, you can't be as immersed in politics as Olivia is and be woke at the same time. That's not how that works. But, right, that's not how that works. And so then this brings us, like, launching into season one. So season one, we meet Olivia Pope. Um, she is you know, the fixer, everybody goes to her. I mean, even the way we meet her is like intense. Like, like somebody, some amb ambassador's baby gets kidnapped by the Ukrainian mob and she's, and she's the one that's negotiating the, the payment of the money to them. And then the, the return of the baby to the ambassador. Right. So we, she gets shit handled. <laughs> right. She gets shit handled and she does it super quietly. Uh, but we quickly sort of realized she's not a good actor. Like, and I don't mean that, like, in terms of Carrie Washington's a bad actor. I mean, like, her, she's not necessarily, like, like, people are like, ooh, Olivia, like, the white hat, blah, 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 rah, 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 rah. But, like, she's not, a lot of the stuff she does is, like, really underhanded. To the, um, and she's she's not really a hero. In fact, she's an anti-hero. Um, and I remember feeling that, like, in at least in this first season, I do remember thinking that, that like, oh, she's an anti-hero and she's supposed to be 
So that's why I always remember being super confused when people were like, she's the hero of the story. I'm like, but she kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> um, right. There's even an interview, I think, with Shonda Rhimes of Shonda Rhimes said that, yeah, she is an antihero. But I don't know if that was communicated to the rest of her writer's room. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know if they knew. That was a criticism that I had. I don't feel like this was communicated well enough in the writing at all. Like, I mean, if you guys listen to our um, the story thus far review on you, we feel that the writing about the Joe Goldberg character was communicated very well. People very just well. like to project, but with the Olivia character, it really wasn't. The writing was very manipulative, and even some of the music that they would play and ways that they would try to um, engender or engender sympathy for the Olivia character, I thought were really underhanded. And I thought that that was done specifically because she was black. They couldn't, they couldn't, um, they wouldn't give her the treatment that was due for a character um, like her because they didn't want to completely um, alienate her from the show's largest viewing demographic. Right. Even in this first episode, it's wild that we're supposed to think of her as a hero because, like, when Cyrus comes to her and is like, hey, Cyrus being our sort of Dick Cheney figure. Um, Except not as smart. <laughs> not as smart. Uh, when he goes to Olivia and he's like, I need you to stop this girl that's, you know, saying that she's sleeping with the president. I mean, Olivia goes and... Uh, completely decimates her. I mean, threatens and in- threaten and intimidates her, like in a very scary manner. I mean, to the point where she she drives Quinn to like tears and vomiting in the bathroom. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I, when you mentioned about how you got the feeling that he's the she's the anti-hero i felt the same way upon watching season one for me i thought it was just a given that someone that immersed in politics could not be on the up and up always taking the high road at all times i don't think it's possible um when you're dealing with politics you're gonna be doing some underhanded shit eventually period which brings me to i guess this idea so we've talked about in the gilmore girls episodes about Amy Sherman Palladino writes, like, white women fantasies. I think it's very safe to say that, like, Shonda Rhimes writes, like, black, like, blavity, black, college-educated, upper, middle-class, like, rich, black women fantasies. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say fantasy. I agreed with you up until you said fantasy, but, like, I'm thinking about her black characters. I'm thinking about that black doctor from Grey's Anatomy, um... Uh, Dr. Miranda, what's her face? I forget the last name. I would think about Olivia. I think about Annalise Keating on how to get away with murder. And these characters suffer a lot. Like they're educated and they're wealthy, but like they're deeply miserable. Mm. <laughs> like, like it's it's interesting how she can create characters with so much depth and so much complexity, but still falls into the trope of these unhappy black women. Right. But yeah, she is def- definitely that blavity black character. She's she's the work twice as hard for half as much. Um, you know, show these white people you're not like the mother Negroes type of black women for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yikes! Um, which isn't. I don't want to say like that's bad on its face. I just think it's. I think it just it is what it is. 
so so one thing I will say is that one thing I did like really observe on the rewatch, uh, we talk a lot about how important it is for a show to have a very specific look and feel. And Scandal does that. Um, shout out to, I think the filmmaking, like the, yeah, the filmmaking of the show, uh, like those elements are really slick and really, um, they're really slick and really specific. Uh, these sort of, I like the, the, like the mirror shots where like, you know, it'll look like they're in like an infinity mirror sometimes. Um, I think it helps to, I think it really helps to make the show feel like all the characters like could be duplicitous. I think it helps like with that sort of feeling. I always love the sort of POV paparazzi click shots, like the, mm-hmm. um, and from behind the camera, they also like, it also does a really good job to like, um, I think make the audience feel like, uh, or to get the audience to understand uh, subliminally that these people are like really important and they're being watched all the time. Um, uh, and I, and I also like, and even though the soundtrack is like manipulative, it's also an amazing soundtrack, by the way. I mean, it's got, very good. It's and very it's much blacker good. than the show. I'll give you that. <laughs> right. It's like, it is an, and it is manipulative, but I like the Motown tracks because I think they give the show like a sense of like movement and pace of like an, and a faster sort of swingier pace, which is interesting and, and it feels good. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I love the way the show is shot. I like the way that in in large part it's shot like a movie. And I think the last series that we said this about was like the OC. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's shot very well. Um, the characters are shot in a way that makes it seem like they might be duplicitous, which is great. You got to keep the intrigue level high, right. um, especially in this very short first season. And I like the Motown tracks, not just for the reason you stated, but because I feel like the Motown tracks kind of give it like an old school, um, you know, what's the score gangster movie vibe where like something could pop up pop off at any minute <laughs> type right. of situation. um i really really enjoyed that about the show i also really like um the wardrobe of the show um it's interesting i don't think i've enjoyed a cast's wardrobe so much since suits probably where um everybody's dressed impeccably but also everyone has a very distinct style of dress um um they have like specific cuts that are um or silhouettes that they prefer or specific power colors that we can associate with every character um to the point where like if you're busy and you're watching the show from your peripheral vision you can still keep track of who's on screen which i thought was 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 this attention to detail really impressed me even things like olivia's hair um when olivia is in relaxed mode her hair's not pressed like that's our cue that olivia's really just trying to like get away um from all these people and like try to live her life is when her hair's not perfectly pressed and curled and you know flipped olivia's hair and makeup is a giveaway to her 
um, mental state and state of mind at any given time. And I, again, I hadn't seen that attention to detail in regards to hair since the OC. So a lot of things I loved, loved, loved about the show. I think the things that got lost in translation happened in the writer's room. Same. Um, and I agree with that too. You're, and you're totally right. Finishing out this pilot uh, and then getting on to the rest of the season, something that Shonda Rhimes does really well is that she knows how to get that hook. Like she knows that turn, that thing that that that's going to sort of hook the viewer. This pilot is, is actually like a really good pilot. It pretty much does everything you want like a network pilot to do. And the big hook in the pilot is that not only did he sleep with uh, Amanda Tanner, but he, but Liv knows that he slept with Amanda Tanner because we found out that Liv, Liv, uh, Olivia was also sleeping with him. And he called them both by the same sort of pet name that I'm not going to repeat because it's dumb. I hate it. And I wish somebody would have come up with something better. Right. And for me, even though the Amanda Tanner scandal was a major plot hole that doesn't ever get fully resolved, um, it did serve a few purposes for me. The fact that Fitz called Amanda Tanner by the same pet name as he called Olivia made it very clear to me that she had been very much just an affair. And whatever they believe that they feel for each other, there are people who are only with each other when they're in the same spaces, you know? Um, and and they they basically use each other as a form of escapism. Um, and it also sets up the Fitz and Olivia dynamic that's going to become a major subplot in all the following seasons. And the third thing it did was it basically reminded us that Liza Wheel still exists and allowed <laughs> her to be cast on how to get away with murder. <laughs> 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 I will say, like, shout out to Shonda Rhimes shows, because I do, like, I feel like a lot of people from a lot of, like, little shows, like, shows that we watch and, like, old school shows like OC and stuff always end up on a Shonda Rhimes show for some reason. And I appreciate but I really like that. Like, all those actors will somehow end up on, end up on a, on a Shonda show. And I, All I know is I didn't want to wait that long for my favorite white woman from Gilmore Girls to get that reunion check. Shonda Rhimes <laughs> has been paying her mortgage. <laughs> right, and Lane ends up actually showing up on second season. <laughs> yes! So, um, uh, shout out to, to you guys. I'm glad you guys got your check. So, <laughs> let's, uh, so yeah, so we get set up with this thing and we, and we quickly realize that this, uh, Fitz Olivia thing will be like a huge dynamic. Oh, and the other thing the scandal did is it really introduced us full force to the Cyrus Bean character. I would mm -hmm. say of all the players that are introduced in this first season, he is the character that the writers are most consistent with. Right. Uh, that's true. Cyrus. Because didn't, uh, didn't he take out old girl? <laughs> didn't he kill Amanda? Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, bitch. I was just like, I was like, oh, so he's that type of yes. uh, advisor. I, I got you, Cheney, yo, like all the way down to the killing of people. Right, like he did, he he doesn't even have the VP title at this point, right? But like he's he's willing to do anything for his president. <laughs> so here's like part of the the big struggle of scandal in that Olivia and Fitz, um, it's a that shit's a disaster, but at the same time. 
the chemistry between Tony Goldwyn and Kerry Washington cannot be denied. And it carries the show. It's the only reason to watch, fam. Like, it's frustrating, (laughs) but you, it's, they're absolutely electric and magnetic together. Like, electric. Mm -hmm. And I know she wasn't out here married and a good Nigerian wife. They might have hooked up. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Like, if she wasn't, if he wasn't married, if she, because he's married to, like, some woman. They're selling it. They're selling it really hard. And, I mean, I've heard of people who have really great chemistry on screen who, like, either just like each other's friends or actually really hate each other. A really great example of this is Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. They really don't like each other, but the chemistry in Pretty Woman was off the charts. Shout out to Tony Goldwyn. He um, is a wonderful actor. He's very strong on this show. Um, despite the material they give him, <laughs> like he, this, despite the material they give him, he is very strong on this show. He's also a wonderful director. Great and film. yes, I feel like all the actors on this show are very, very strong and they do what they have to do with the work that they're given. They sell you on some of the most off the wall, bizarre shit. I promise you guys. I promise you. <laughs> they really do. Like, <laughs> and they're, and they, and they're like, and and somehow all the, like, I mean, it's really the writing that fails this show because even the most weird, savage, like, character inconsistencies that will come. And to be real, like, Tony Goldwyn gets the most of them. The Fitz character will go through these crazy character inconsistencies and he handles them. He he sells that shit. Like, he just, he just rides over those waves. Watching him do it, it's it's why I'm always like, you gotta give like acting trophies to to peop to good actors who are on bad shows. Cause like the fact that you made that shit work, <laughs> like mm. I mean, you stand up and you take a bow for yourself. <laughs> MVP oh my God. for real. MVP. MVP. For real. So If you guys need a refresher on Scandal, you're listening to this with no intention of ever watching Scandal, there are three major plot points in season one. We have the Amanda Tanner one that we discussed, the White House intern that Fitz was sleeping with that Cyrus killed. We have... um, we have um, the fact that we learned that Olivia rigged the national election to get her married Republican boyfriend elected president. Oh, bitch. And then, and then we have Quinn Perkins. Quinn Perkins is someone whom um, Olivia sent Harrison, um, Columbus Short's character, to basically scout out and get to join her team. Um, but um, not necessarily because she thought that this girl was really qualified for the job she was but that wasn't the primary motivation the primary motivation as we later find out in later seasons is that olivia more or less ruined this girl's fucking life life (laughs) just because because to to get her boy a republican boyfriend uh you know elected to steal the election for him essentially So the cool thing about olivia and by i mean this very sarcastically the cool thing about olivia is that being her friend, you can and probably will be collateral damage to her and or her father. Mm-hmm. And Quinn is one of those first people that we realize is that that happened to. But prior to Quinn, um, we later learned that the Huck character was a victim of her father. And then we meet another Jake Ballard in season two. 
I will say that the stuff with the election rigging and Quinn and that whole turn is actually really good. And I remember thinking that it did like a really good job. Um, it was the only plot of season one that really made sense to me. Like <laughs> all this other stuff with like, like you said, with Amanda Tanner, like it served a few purposes of laying the groundwork for other things, but I felt like they could have laid that groundwork in other ways. Like the election rigging, um, um, plot point would have been a perfect time to extrapolate on the Fitz Olivia relationship, right? We didn't need Amanda Tanner for that, right? And I mean, uh, the the Amanda Tanner turn even is, is like the whole thing is that they get sent the tape in the mail, right? Because uh, right. because um, Olivia feels bad that she threatened and intimidated Amanda Tanner, right? So then she agrees to represent her against the White House, not because. She, and this is how, like, even, this is how, you know, Olivia really sucks. Because, like, she doesn't really agree to represent Amanda Tanner because, like, Amanda Tanner saw, like, it was right and that she was wrong. It's really off of her ego. <laughs> like, right. that she's representing Amanda. She's like, I cannot, she, to get back at Fitz. That's really what it is. And the thing about the Olivia character that I think the show does right is that it shows how closely her intentions and her motivations are tied to the outcomes right yes that's true um because she really genuinely doesn't give a fuck about anything except getting back at fits like you said so um and the outcome and her response to finding out that amanda died reflects that <laughs> right because <laughs> she's because she's like because amanda dies or amanda or, or amanda goes missing and She's calling him like, "Did you kill? Did you kill her? Like, what did you do? Like, are you?" And she's like, kind of, and she's, she's not upset that he might have like murdered someone. She's upset that like, if he murdered someone, that means like, she won't be able to fuck him anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's why right. she's really upset. Um, and that's like too much for her. So, but the but the big turn that we get essentially is in season one is that this Amanda thing happens, and uh, they're sent a tape, right? And that's why they uh, initially take Amanda. There's a tape of like Fitz having sex with somebody, um, some somebody, and they assume it's Amanda Tanner. Uh, in episode six, the trail, we find out that the person on the tape is him and Olivia. Uh, mm. which is a huge plot hole, which, which was why I said it's like, it's this huge plot hole, like, that happens, because it doesn't, because, like, wouldn't you recognize your own moans on a tape? Right, like, I know what my voice sounds like, and if I saw any body part of mine, like, detached from the hole, like, if I saw my hand or my foot in a video, I would know that's mine. <laughs> right, like, and, it, and I feel like I would know what I sound like when I come, like... <laughs> Right. <laughs> like <laughs> where is the self-awareness people? <laughs> so the fact that she initially hears the tape and she's pissed at him cuz she's like how you fucked that girl. I'm like, "Honey, but that's you." <laughs> like and the fact that he then has to come explain to her that, "Hey, that's actually you." And then the fact that like when he initially hears the tape, he doesn't like immediately tell Cyrus, "Oh no, that's not even that's not Amanda Tanner. Like that's Olivia fucking on the tape. That's me and Olivia fucking on the tape." Like that's not, like, none of that makes, so all this sort of machinations 
or all this stuff that's like wrapped up in people getting this tape and the subsequent stuff that happens, none of it makes sense because it's like, I would hope that you know what that you sound like when you come. Like that's, that's really it. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, see, and then, now it's time for the rewrites. If I were to gonna, if I were writing season one, this is how I would have written it. We're going to keep all the election rigging shit. We're going to keep Olivia um, working for the president on retainer while she still does her Olivia Pope and Associates bag. But they're still very much immersed in their affair. And maybe I could give them like a, a, a major breakup in season, in episode three or four. And then we explore all the things that she has done for him thus far because she was so in love and so um, besotted with him that she couldn't see clearly in this relationship. And then we could get to the whole election rigging deal. I could see That's that. what I would have done. I would have left out the Amanda Tanner thing entirely. And we could even do a thing where like, if we... Because that's where we truly see Cyrus's character. So to explore his character, um, when to take it out, maybe Olivia uh, um, Fitz tells Cyrus that's Olivia on the tape, and um, Cyrus um, basically collects information on their affair, which is still going on in season one, and um, tries to um, blackmail her out of the White House with it. That's what I would have done. And that would have been good because, like, when we do find out that, when Cyrus does, like, find out that him and Olivia are, like, were a thing, um, like, Cyrus does sort of, like, try to punish Olivia for it, right? They do go head to head. Um, So that would have been in in character. Um, In fact, Cyrus is, like, I mean, and this is, like, I guess... This is why Cyrus is a complicated figure because Cyrus hates the relationship, but like he also realizes that like, I would never say that he and Olivia are friends. They're definitely operate like in a frenemy territory. Mm -hmm. Um, But like they're, they're sort of back and forth and, and um, is interesting to watch and like their relationship to each other. Um, and how that relationship parallels to Fitz because Cyrus, Cyrus is cool with Olivia when like he and Olivia are on the same page, but like mm-hmm. if he and Olivia disagree that he hates Olivia cause he knows that like Olivia has like Fitz's ear more than he does. Right. That pillow talk matters so much more. And the Cyrus character is interesting too, because I think, you know, when I talk about consistency, I absolutely think he's the most consistent character, but I also think that the writers work with his basic character traits in a much more interesting way than they work with a lot of their other characters. So Cyrus is supposed to be gay, and oftentimes in his dealings with Olivia in regards to Fitz, or in dealing with Fitz directly, um, you can almost imply uh, a jealousy that is so much stronger than and, you know, um, an employer would feel um, towards an employee who favors someone else. He can almost see a situation where he might idolize Fitz to the point of a sexual attraction to him. Yes, there's definitely something there in Cyrus that is not that is not like friendship with Fitz. But like, I will say that actor 
once again, the actor who plays Cyrus is um, phenomenal. And, like, he's, I mean, I think he's in Steppenwolf, which is, like, a really renowned, like, theater uh, group. Um, And the actor who plays Cyrus definitely walks that line of, like, friendship, but almost, like, attraction and, like, something more there when it comes to Fitz. Absolutely. Um, You know, at any given time, he's, like, this great advisor. He's a good friend. Um, but you also see that sometimes he sees Fitz like a brother. Sometimes um, he would reimagine Fitz as a lover. Um, there's there's so many iterations of that relationship where, um, you know, in later seasons when Fitz fires him and they have something um, it, that's um, tantamount to a breakup, we see the devastation in Cyrus. And I think this buildup over the seasons was so great. Jeff Perry is a great actor. Um, definitely not taking anything away from any of the other, other actors on this show. But I think when you have a combination of great actor and actually consistent material, <laughs> you can bring your A game. You can really do it. Um, so let's talk about really quick. And I'm sure this is not well. This will not be the last time we talk about it. But in relation to season one, let's talk about the the Melly Fitz Olivia triangle thruple <laughs> <laughs> situation. Melly is a character that I I went into the show thinking that I would hate her, but I actually came out of the show um, I sympathizing with her, and then um, you know in 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 the middle part of the show respecting her a bit um so Melly is presented to us almost like this dowdy wife who has no clue that her man was fucking his um campaign manager and who that's what olivia was to fitz when they first met and you know she's just in the dark about all these things and she's too busy being first lady and being ambitious to see these things but the show reveals very quickly that Melly is very aware and in she's not really yeah, she's not she and she's not trying to compete with another woman for her husband's um affections or attentions, which I respect. That they never really even in the early stages of their marriage, they never really had the sort of um dynamic that Fitz and Olivia has. And so she pretty much chalked it up to listen, I wanna be president one day. I I don't wanna leave this man because we already have two children to think of. As long as she can keep him away from other women who might expose him and put us in the papers, I'm just going to swallow my tongue and let that be that. Obviously, she's not friendly with Olivia um, in these first seasons, and she's justifiably angry about it. But Melly's not an idiot, and I like the fact that, you know, the show didn't write her as this consummate victim who loves her husband so deeply and is just so hurt and saddened that he's cheating or something like that. No, they're not. Yeah, no, she's not. Melly is somebody who will also go through really char- like character inconsistencies through the, the run of the series in order for this show to be more like hashtag woke. Uh, but she, like you said, she's she knows. She knows he's fucking another woman. And she's just like, well, that is what it is. And not even that is what it is. Like you said, she's like, well if you if this is what you need or if this is what it's got to be like well then sure because it means that you're not around you're not out around here like really you know messing up our stuff because she does have ambitions of her own and or she does want to she doesn't have ambitions of her own yet but she does uh want to keep all this stuff kosher i always got the sense and it's something that i really liked that fitz had a lot of 
Fitz like doesn't like hate Melly. He's just like not in love with her anymore. Um, and mm-hmm. like she's not in love with him anymore, but they're but you know, they have a family together and they're friends. There is like genuine friendship there, but like this this thing just doesn't work anymore. And it's something that the show will completely go back on. But I remember that being an interesting dynamic. And and that's what I initially even got from her, just sort of being like, well, you know, do what you want. Like, or right. bring this person in here and, and have that. But, because, like, whatever. We're, like, a team. We're... Right. We're M&F. But... Yeah, it bothered me that, um, and I, I really did like that, the whole, because it shows you, like, their marriage was, like, was a political arrangement, right? Like, you're going to marry this um, Southern Belle from a political family, Melody Grant, um, while you are senator or governor or whatever he was. Yeah. And then you're going to ascend to the vice president presidency with her and she was cool with it because they show us like um she saw first lady as like the first step um in um in creating a political career for herself and that was a relationship that they had but then the show like you said very um quickly goes back from what we are gleaning in season one and what they revealed to us in like seasons four and five and in between there they show you this relationship where Melly was in love once and the relationship collapsed before Olivia came into the picture and now they're just trotting along. And this actually made me hate the Fitz character a lot. <laughs> right. And it's, and, and listen, I think that's intentional, like, and which is weird. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think they did it in an attempt to be hashtag woke, which is like, why? Like that's inconsistent. That doesn't make sense with anything you wrote before. Um, yeah, I should have just kept that in arrangement. I'm sorry. Just, right, because like, because I remember really liking that. Because I, because in in fact, I was like, wow, this is low key the first like polyamorous couple mm-hmm. on like network, and like it's just sort of sliding through like in this sort of way. And I remember thinking that setup of it was super interesting because it's like, and we even see that because like where Millie gets the angriest is when like is not really like all of Fitz and Olivia's love shit. She's like, whatever, fuck that shit. It's when like talking out policy with Olivia or like he's trying to like hang with her. Like that's what gets Melly upset. But then granted, Melly's not that good at it anyway. Like she, but like, she I feel like he. I feel like he doesn't give Melly her just dues, and I, I, I can, I understand a lot of Melly's frustration because they married to be a political team, right? And then you turn around, and then you're trying to bring other people into the team. But like, but then that's the thing. And then see, this is the. It's consistent because like in the first season, like that's Mel, that's Melly's whole thing. She's like, we're the team. Like we're we're it's the band. It's all of us, right? So right. Like, she thought that her Fitz, Cyrus, and Olivia were the team. <laughs> were the team. Like it's like it's all of us. Like and so like she she's so I'm like honey like where are you like what's up like what's really upsetting you like where are you at like what's what's going on help me <laughs> like because first you were cool now you're not cool now like so and I think and I guess here's the rewriting so I guess where I would have that come in is like. And I guess the show eventually gets to this, but they make it so antagonistic that, like, you don't... 
at least I didn't want to root for it, but I would have like Melly and Olivia, I guess, not form a friendship, but a mutual respect for each other earlier on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I might have even rewritten season one so that, like, when we're we come into the situation, Melly already knows about the affair, and Fitz and Olivia knows that she knows, and everyone's just like living their life. <laughs> right, right. They run shit, like, or like, if you're, or if you're like having this thing, if you're committed to the thing of like we're all a team, then like let you all be a team. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's no reason why Melly, like. It would have it would have been so interesting to have like um, a shot or like a, a story arc of like um, Melly and Fitz are like in the car are like in the limo and like they're reading a bill and they're on like a phone conference with Olivia and Olivia's like, "Do you see my notes that I wrote about the bill in the margin?" And Melly's like, "Yeah, but like," and Melly says something like oh, yeah, but I didn't like this one part of the bill. Like, we talked about that. And then maybe her and Olivia argue, bicker back and forth about, like, this policy that they don't know if it's going to work or not. And then Fitz says something about, well, but da-da-da-da-da. But, like, if you do this and this, like, you know, like, have them be a team. Right, right. Um, And I think fascinating. I think that the show wanted to build intrigue and drama off of um, Melly, uh, Olivia, and Fitz to the point where when Olivia finds out that Melly knew about the affair, that's when she feels bad all of a sudden. When y'all was fucking behind her back, you didn't feel bad, but now you feel bad that she she's known all along. And my whole thing is if you wanted to create drama around that, like maybe have it leak right have the affair leak like how are the three of them going to handle that um but like all the other drama about the show really could have been about things surrounding the presidency like play more like basically house of cards where like frank and claire um and we'll discuss the show later this season but they see other people but they're like wildly honest with each other at least right. in the first few seasons you could have played it like that and that character that that show still had plenty of intrigue with shit that had nothing to do with their marriage right so like and it's just i don't know it's ugly to watch so the the first season grant for the people ends with quinn's boyfriend gideon who was really just like a plot <laughs> poor gideon he was not like Gideon was probably the first and only, like, moral, like, morally centered, true compass goes north person that will ever be on this show. Pour one out for Gideon. Uh, He is murdered when, like, uh, Sally Langston, that's the VP, her sort of chief of staff murders him because Gideon realizes that the chief of staff was really the one that was sleeping with Amanda Tanner and had set Amanda Tanner up to embarrass the president so that the VP could could be president instead. And it just, it fails. Gideon is stabbed with scissors in the neck, and Quinn does the one thing that everybody knows you're not supposed to do when somebody gets stabbed, which is, like, take out the thing that they're stabbed with. Right. Because that just makes them bleed out faster and die. But, you know, she does that. So, whatever. Poor baby. 
So what do we think of season one as it exists? Is it good, bad, or basic? I think it's it's bordering on good and basic. I think that the pacing is really fast. I think because it goes so fast um, and like you have all this like fun stuff, like you don't quite recognize those plot holes at first. Um, I mm-hmm. think care, I think uh, Tony Golden and Carrie Washington are electric. And we get, like, a lot of Fitz and Olivia stuff in this first season. So all that romance kind of, like, sweeps you up. Um, so I would put it on, like, a... It's, like, a... It, it's bordering on good and basic. It's, like, right in the middle. Oh, yeah. You definitely said something with that fast pacing. That's a TVD school of pacing. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I agree. It's good bordering on basic. Actually, I would say it's it's basic approaching good. Just because um, I felt like um, it was too early in the game for some of these major plot holes that I'm seeing. <laughs> That's true. Um, you had a seven <laughs> episodes. You had a seven episode season order. Like you shouldn't have that many plot holes. <laughs> like in seven right. episodes, it's seven episodes. Tighten it up. <laughs> Tighten it up, hun. So let's jump into season. Two. So let's talk about some of the major, there are some major plots in season two. Season two, there's an assassination attempt made on him and he almost dies. And the vice president, Sally Langston, becomes acting president. A very pregnant Melly tries to hold on to his power for him in the interim. Um, later on, Melly becomes sick of Fitz's bullshit and broadcasts his affair with Olivia on national television, naming Olivia as his mistress. And so these are like the major, major plots of season two, although there are some other subplots as well. Um, so they they immerse you further into the Olivia Fitz-Melly triangle, I feel, unnecessarily, um, when the real person that they could have used as like a primary villain sally langston was right there and she was a very intriguing character she's great and right sally langston is so great and they and she could have been like a true like you said a true blue like adversary a great villain but they don't do anything with her like which is like nuts we come um, so close to moments of greatness with this character because, like, she has a lot, quite a few monologues from beginning to end, um, from like season two to the end of the series. There's a lot of monologues coming from her, and you can just see this like inner viciousness and anger. And I'm like, let that bubble over. I would like to see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, I, I'm like, I'm interested in that. The one thing that we do sort of learn about the Fitz character that they will go back on because poor Fitz. Fitz gets like a true blue character assassination. I feel so bad for him. I felt so bad for him during the run. Um, Not because I feel bad for him, but I just felt bad for like just the bad writing. Um, (laughs) But one thing that the show will be consistent on until they're not, I guess, is that Fitz is, as much as Fitz is a whatever he is, he is a he is a good father. He is a good and present father to his children. Um, he regularly talks with Karen and then Jerry, and he knows their stuff and what they like and what they don't like. And and Melly, and that's part of the reason. Well, the biggest part of the reason why Melly is having this baby is to, um, you know fix all the stuff that happened at the end of season one but then it's also sort of to like keep him in check 
<laughs> to keep Fitz right. in check. Um, cause he, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but don't have a fix a marriage baby fam. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It's, it's, it's bad every time. <laughs> um, and he does it to, to keep her, she does it to keep him in check and, and he does cause he, he, children are important to him. He's a, like I said, he's a good father. Um, the show will go back on that, but like, at least for now in season two, he's a good dad and he cares about his kids. And that's something that is very important to him. In fact, that's all he wants to do. Like he keeps saying like, that's all he wants to do is like, um, not be president and for Olivia to go work and him to just like stay at home and take care of some kids and be a soccer dad. That's all he wants to do. Now I will give the writers some credit when Fitz makes this little switch up it is actually remarked upon by Melly. Like she says straight up, like the kids, it's the kids not wanting to come home has nothing to do with me. I'm not the one who's changed. You've changed. Right. right? Like she true. says she that, say she, that. Sa- she, she, she says that to him. Like, this is not who you used to be. This is not the father that they know. Get your shit together. <laughs> right. Cause she says, I've always been cold. They're, they're used to that shit. <laughs> like it's right. this, like, it's this and, new shit that you're doing that's that's fucking them up. Right. And like when we say Melly's cold, it's not like she doesn't care about her children. She's just not a person that that's affectionate, but she is very involved in her children's lives. Like they know that's how she is. She's not a huggy kissy type of mom and they're fine with that. <laughs> their dad is like he's the one that's like all like about their stuff. So when he's not about their stuff, it like and that switch up on them, that's like, whoa. Fitz doesn't care. He's still out here, like, calling Olivia in the middle of the night. <laughs> uh, because uh, that, I mean, because really that has nothing to do with, you know, um, I guess Melly having a baby. Like, if she's sleeping at 3 a.m., then he can, you know, be on the phone with somebody at 3 a.m. It's not a big deal. Uh, yeah, it's so crazy how the Fitz character is basically, like, Pretty much, like, the way that they've set it up before the pregnancy was, like, Amelie, I'm not the least bit attracted to her. I'm not the least bit invested in the marriage. But you're still smashing, fam. Well, like, it, and that's the thing. They they smash because it's, like, well, they, in the end of season one, they, they infer that he hasn't been. And that, like, and she gets on TV and she says she's ego prego, but she's not. So, like, then they have to, like, smash for her to actually be in season two. Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, that's what's going on there. And when so when he this assassination attempt is made on his life, she's pregnant and going through the highest level of stress that no pregnant person should be going through when her husband's life is, you know, hanging on by a thread. And she, she, she and everyone else can see how power-hungry Sally Langston is. And she's trying to hold on to power for her man. He's in a coma. She even goes so far as to lie and say that he wakes up earlier than he actually does and mm-hmm. forges his signature. Like, she's a writer for real. Melly deserves better. <laughs> Melly is on. She's, listen, she's a, she is, she's a ride or die. So, um, this assassination attempt episode, episode, season two, episode eight, Happy Birthday, Mr. President, is a great episode, period. It's a really good episode. People should watch it. It's mostly a flashback episode. We all, we see Lane Kim, first of all. That's the first, that's the most important part. <laughs> Lane Kim shows up from Gilmore Girls, and she's working in the White House. We essentially get all of the backstory to when Olivia was working at the White House, true in the White House, True Blue, before she she quit. 
and it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess of the highest order. Like, these two are, like, full sale, like, fucking on, like, the Oval Office desk, which, mm. yikes. I mean, mm. hot, but yikes. Yeah, I mean, there's a camera in that room, right? Right above the desk? That's yes. what I'm, yes. <laughs> like, and you're not his wife. Like, it'd be one thing. They'd probably, like, let you go for that. They'd be like, eh, everybody does it. Barack and Michelle have fucked on that desk and no one cared. But you're a whole mistress, honey. <laughs> like, you're really, you're taking your life in your hands, babe. Um, and you know what's annoying me about the Olivia character is how bristly she got um, at that term, mistress. But I'm like, what would else would you call it, hun? We get all these references that, you know, Cyrus and Melly and, and Fitz all say like, oh, like the band, like in reference to themselves of like, we're all like a team or whatever. We see it, right? We're actually shown it in mm-hmm. um, in Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Like they're negotiating policy and like fucking at Camp David and, you know, all that cute couple shit. Oh, also we see, we meet uh, Mitchum Huntsberger 2.0, Southern Fried Chicken Edition. Um, <laughs> also known as Hollis Doyle. But uh, this this season was so great because, like I said, I feel like they had a great villain. They didn't do much with her, but we do get to revisit that villain every now and then in future seasons. And that's like the first arc. And then the second arc is like finding this mole, right? A mess, you guys. A, a mess. Ass, a dumb ass a tantrum mess. Olivia gets like a new boyfriend. Uh, like a black one. The only one. The only black one. It's a but- recycled boyfriend. Friend, someone she used to date too. Yeah, her ex fiance, uh, and her ex fiance is like a, a, a man of prominence because Olivia only has sex with men who have lots of power. That's like her thing. It's a daddy issue thing. Like she's yeah, they got to be powerful her. and older, right? Yeah, they got to be powerful and older than her. And her boyfriend, the Senate guy, is like, "Did you commit fraud?" <laughs> And she's like, how dare you insinuate that I committed a fraud that I committed? Girl, every time Olivia is, like, outraged when people question her on shit she actually did, I, I swear I rolled my eyes so many times they would have they should have gotten stuck by now. I'm like, girl, I know you're not outraged right now. You actually did this shit. What you, you need to do is humble so yourself, manufacture some tears, and be like, I would never... I would never. But, like, the anger? Dial that back, sis. Dial it back. Because also, like, some of their their thing is, is, like, she won't tell him who her old boyfriend was, like, when they were broken up. And I mm-hmm. guess, you know, he's a person who was, like, well-adjusted and, like, nice. So, you know, he's wants to get to know her and, like, help her with her issue. But, you know, she's not feeling that... Because Olivia has more issues than Rolling Stone. She really does. And he sort of figures out that, like, it was Fitz. And he and he even says it. He's like, were you sleeping with, like, the president? And she's like, how dare you, and- <laughs> <laughs> you say that I was having sex with the president? I would. She's like, how dare you insinuate that I'm a criminal, a whore, and a liar? I'm like, oh, babe. Babe. There was so much projection in that little monologue because he never said any of those words. But, or, mm, but, <laughs> but those head dogs are hollering. <laughs> they will holler so loud. The next arc is this mole thing. And that's when we're introduced to like 
okay, B613 element that, in my opinion, will ruin the show. Like, forever and always. See, when B613 came around, I was like, finally, we can do other shit that doesn't have to do with Fitz and Olivia. Um, but yeah, it, it really does run the show because as a concept, it was great, but in, um, in In actualization, yeah, Yeah. no, no. Because then you start to, when, when B613 comes in, like you start to feel like you're watching two different shows, like in one episode. Yeah, it does. Like it feels like like part of it is like, um, you know, like the West Wing and the other part is like Alias. And they're jamming so much into it and it's like i get severe whiplash right 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 um and this this comes in the second arc um and and it's in the second arc too where again inconsistencies all of a sudden melly wants fits to be loyal to her which she never really wanted before and he chooses Olivia, and she broadcasts their affair um, right before he announces his re-election campaign. And, you know, we find out that Rowan, the leader of B613, the puppeteer, um, the man who really runs the country, is Olivia's father. Uh, so season two, I guess some other things in season two. Stuff that I liked. Let's be positive. Um Season two, uh, episode 12, Truth and Consequences. That's when uh, Melly has this baby. And uh, it's actually wild because Melly has this baby. She induces this baby. She makes this baby come early for the sole purpose of making Fitz not mad at her. <laughs> Which is like, bitch, what? Fix it. And like, these desperate these desperate kind of pick-me measures, like they really fluctuate hard and wild with them. Like sometimes she is that pygmy and sometimes she's just like, do what you want. And it doesn't, and this is what, and this is what we're talking about. Like these crazy character inconsistencies. What I do like about it is that it gives you sort of like a window into like their friendship and like this sort of thing that she speaks on and that he speaks on as well. And that at least I always inferred from him in that he has a lot of respect and love for Melly as the mother of his children, but like he's just not in love with her anymore. And like the shit that they go through is just making them toxic to each other, which I think he says. He's like, this shit between us is toxic. Like, don't you want to be done with this? Yeah, she has this baby and it's actually a really beautiful scene. He, she's screaming and he gets behind her and he's like, listen, like, you know, we do this. And like, they have like this banter and dialogue between them and it it does show you two people who who have always had each other's back and I do like it for that reason yeah I agree that whole scene was great and I really wish it could have just stayed on this track of these two people had an arrangement they were good friends now whether or not you want to include or exclude sexual attraction is on you but this idea that they were ever in love is something that actually ruins the material consistently (laughs) it does it it, it consistently and i think if they're sexually attracted to each other that's great like i don't see why they wouldn't be like melly's very good looking like her she's thick like she looks good like and he 
looks very good. And so why not? Like, why wouldn't they be? But well, um, the show tells us that they were, and like, you know, in later seasons that they were early in the marriage, they were, they had a great healthy sex life. And it wasn't until his father entered the picture that that changed. Mm. Like, yeah. Which, Right when she when, right. when his father rapes her and and she is didn't tell him about it that 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 part of their relationship was severed um, that actually makes perfect sense but like all this shit about their their being in love or he was once in love with her and she wants him to be in love with her again this is nonsense that makes delete it sense. delete it they were friends and like maybe they fucked but like when he met Olivia that's when he was like oh no like this is what love feels like. Like, no, like I want to be with you. Like I want to do this, like, which is different, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are two separate things. And I could understand that like as an audience member wanting to like, be like, we're, we're cool and we're great friends. But like, I think I've met the person that like, you know, makes me want to be better or like whatever. Right, exactly this. Um, I also like about season two when we're on the subject of marriages, the marriage between Cyrus and his husband, James. I think it's a very toxic relationship and a very toxic marriage. And Cyrus is a liar and Cyrus is a manipulator. But I think that whole relationship dynamic is a great way of further exploring the Cyrus character with little to no collateral damage. We really get to see who he is and that he will lie to anyone and everyone including and not limited to his own spouse, which I thought was interesting. Right, which is nuts. Halfway through season two, Olivia and Fitz will have, like, their big, big breakup where he's sort of, like, done with her because he finds out that they rigged the election for him. Mm-hmm. And that that devastates him because it uh, plays into all of this old shit with his dad and, like, his life and all of his like triggers and shit yeah that he is is incompetent or impotent or can't do things for himself definitely like opens a lot of repressed childhood trauma a lot of fresh wounds and okay all of that is super valid and i'm not gonna lie like i was team fits with that because the team quote unquote Went behind his back. <laughs> same. And like, I, yeah, same. I remember being team fist for that too. Cause I was like, well, girl, cause he was like, well then just let me lose. Like, just like, if I'm going to lose, like let it happen. Like, why did you do this shit? Like this shit was unnecessary. And that's when I respected him for real. Cause I was like, he would rather lose honestly than win this way. Like it wasn't a thing where he found out that they'd done this and they tell him, well, you would have lost. And he's like, okay, well, I guess you did the right thing. He was like, no, nah, let me lose. Right. Like, um, and so, like, watching the Melly character basically, like, debase herself, trying to get Fitz's love and attention was really kind of like, it was so cringe because, like, Bellamy Young is really good looking. She has, like, one of those really sexy, deep voices. And I'm just like, sis, you know, you got options, right? <laughs> right. Like, I was you like, know, you got options, right? And that was actually one of the things that bugged me about the show that they waited so late to introduce, like, a love interest for her. And it also bugged me that, like, when they do introduce one for her, like, Fitz gets all tight about it. He wouldn't be, though. Because this whole time he's been begging her to. 
Listen, if I'm cheating on my spouse and then I find out that they are, they have someone in the wings, it's oh happy day out here. Right? <laughs> this whole thing is like he's annoyed that she's up his ass 24-7. She finally finds somebody to like take her energy off him and then he's like tight. I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't track with anything about the Fitz character. It did not make any sense. They had shown Fitz being like a possessive person earlier. Like I could see that. Like, possessive in, in, but like, he's not. Like, he's just sort of like, uh. So, the fact that, like, when she gets Andrew, that he's, uh, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, right. It's not in line with the Fitz character, but it is in line with the typical cheating spouse, particularly cheating husband, right? Like, it's okay for me to fuck everybody, but you can't. You're the woman. You need to just be out here waiting for me or holding down the home. So, I felt like, making him like your typical cheating husband instead of specifically tailoring this plot for the Fitz character who could not care less and wants a reason to be rid of Melly was kind of lazy. And once again, reinforcing what I'm saying about the show sacrificing story and character in an effort to be hashtag woke. Right? I mean, if they really wanted to be woke, they could have really gone head first on this polyamorous shit. Like, I got right? Olivia, you got Andrew, let's live our best lives. Like, that would And be Andrew's really not cool a stranger, right? Andrew was his running mate when he was running for governor. Like, they have a relationship. Like, I think Andrew was at their house all the time back when he was governor, right? That was his running mate. And it sh- kind of shows you in the flashbacks that, like, Andrew was the only person that Millie, re- Millie really confided in after her... Um, after she was raped by Fitz's dad, we learned this in later seasons. So they culted the, the relationship that the 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 show cultivated between Andrew and Melly was actually really beautiful. But of course, they couldn't let Melly be happy. They had to make this shit sloppy. So they they retroactively assassinated Andrew's character. Right. So season two ends with we figure out who this mole person was. But it, it ends with, like, Olivia, like, and it's Olivia, once again, being like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be in this relationship or some bullshit. But it doesn't matter, because everyone, she goes outside for a run, and everybody's like, are you a hoe? Were you the president's hoe? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how season two ends. That, that, that was a direct quote, by the way. Um, <laughs> direct quote. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how it ends. I think we meet her father at the end of that season or the beginning. Yeah, the beginning of season three. So what do we think of season two? Good, bad, or basic? It's bad. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, there, like from here on out, from there will be, like, Scandal will just have, like, moments. There will be, like, small moments that are, like, interesting. But for the most part, it'll be, like, it'll be a dumpster fire, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. For me, it fluctuated between basic and bad. Like, there were moments where it was just, like, all right. And the moments where it dove headfirst into absolute fuckery. Yeah, so that happened on season two of Scandal. (laughs) It was a very long episode order, and I feel like the ball was dropped. They could have explored more. They could have fleshed out certain things more. And I think when we talk about character inconsistencies... Olivia is not a character who's inconsistent per se. She's just deeply hypocritical. Yeah, she's just hypocritical. And But the show doesn't want you to think that she's hypocritical. That's the problem. Right. They, think, they want us to believe that she does whatever's best at that moment. But it's like, best for whom? 
<laughs> right, best from home. And she wants you to think that uh, the show wants you to think that Olivia is always acting in the good of like others. That that she does all of these things to ultimately help people. Mm-hmm. That's not true. <laughs> right, like That's I think not real. I, I think the viewers have a hard time. This is like separating the Olivia Pope works for Olivia Pope and Associates with the Olivia Pope who's who's enmeshed in the White House and the current administration. They're very different people. She actually does her best work, the most altruistic work when she's getting paid. Right. And even then, it's like it's awkward. There's an episode, I think, where uh, where it's like an Olivia Pope and Associates episode and they're sort of going through that closed episodic. But she essentially manipulates Huck into re-traumatizing himself? Yes. Like, she knows that he's, you know, working, or he's worked really hard to put himself back together through some very serious psychotic breaks. And essentially, he's, like, a recovering sociopath because, like, he tortures people, but he's trying to get back from that. And she... But she unlocks it when she needs it, you know? And right. She, so he's she, like the dog. She's he's he's like a rabid dog that she's got on a leash and she'll she'll unchain him when it's time to attack someone else. And it's actually interesting because something I noted in my notes is like all the sort of with the gladiators and all that stuff, all of them, the the language that they use, how they're like gladiating in suits, gladiating in suits and the way they talk is actually super cult like. And I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. But the show never really does anything with it right like for me it wasn't just saying that they were gladiators in suits like i saw that as more of a mantra but like for me what was like very telling and i love that you use the word cult is when everybody associated with olivia would always say quote we would go we would walk off a cliff with you she's got them all convinced that she has their best interests at heart which is some truly charismatic cult leader ass shit because she doesn't and they're constantly the ones sacrificing on her behalf and even after she fucks them over and they have proof that she's fucked them over they're still team olivia like you can see the flickers of something coming together that is truly interesting and really brilliant and had the potential to be really cool but the execution is just like no no and it's interesting on olivia's behalf that she's attracted to the kind of men that will challenge her um but the 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 quote-unquote friends that she grooms that she surrounds herself with are people who are willing to make untold sacrifices on her behalf right in season three we actually meet olivia's father and we kind of understand why her type is her type you know he is an older man incredibly intelligent probably smarter than any of the men she's ever dated i'm sure she sensed this although she didn't outright know until now that he is an incredibly powerful man and he's someone who carries himself like he has a lot of power even though he's got this cover of being curator of the dinosaur exhibits at the museum he's very powerful he's very smart he's very thought-provoking he's got excellent taste in music and this is kind of what she looks for in her lovers and we we learn um later on that this is a side effect of him sending her to boarding school when her mother died and right. basically being detached from her father and looking for, you know, um, echoes of his personality in her lovers. In the third season, 
she leads Huck and Jake to investigate B613, which, uh, like you said, is something that is traumatizing for them both, more so Huck, right? Because he'd been traumatized so badly that he'd even forgotten who he was. Right. He completely forgotten that he had a fiance. Mm-hmm. and um who was pregnant <laughs> and right. the, or, no she had just had their son like he's a couple months old the last time Huck saw them and so she's out here thinking that he's walked out on them right right and he's completely forgot these people exist even forgot his original first name he only remembered his code name Huck because Huck Charlie those are not their real names these are names they chose for themselves and they were like in deep operative for B613 and Huck was tortured the way that he was because he broke their rules no family right um but she's willing to be like listen I gotta get to the bottom of bottom of this so I need the truth for my peace of mind so fuck Huck's peace of mind right <laughs> Ooh, it's a mess. It's so messy. It's so dirty. And like, as a series progresses, you realize like, like she is the shittiest friend to all of these people, but particularly Huck and Abby. Season three is the season where honestly, like, so all these character retcons that we've sort of been talking about, they sort of come together in season three. They they all appear and and manifest in season three. We get the episode in season three, episode seven called Everything is Coming Up Melly, and that's the sort of big sort of character retcon with Melly and, and Fitz's relationship. And then we get also in that episode, we'll get like stuff with Fitz that like, doesn't really make sense in that. And in um, like kiss, kiss, bang, bang, which is episode 14. Uh, we'll also get it like in the fluffer and it's, ugh, uh, which is episode 16 and it, it all sucks and doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I think the best part of season three is that we meet um, Olivia's mom Olivia's mom is a character, like I said, who will become a guest star in in, in this season and future seasons. Um, but she's not dead. She was a passenger who didn't get on the plane, and she's been imprisoned by Rowan for the last 20 years. And Olivia wants to make up for lost time. And she wants to reconnect with her mom, but her mom is arguably smarter than her dad and a very powerful spy. And um, he was part of an assignment, essentially. And that's how Olivia was, you know, that's how they got, why they got married and why Olivia was conceived, because he was part of a larger assignment that she had back in the day. Candy Alexander, the actress who plays Maya Lewis, really puts her foot in every single scene. Every time a mama Pope shows up, I, I, I'm tuned in. Right. No, she's so charismatic. So like the thing that will really carry the rest of the show is like how charismatic these, I mean, shout out to the casting department. <laughs> they did it like the, who they will like cast from here on out. And like the actors will really carry the show. Like she's Candy Alexander is wonderful and she's very charismatic and she delivers some of those, like she delivers some of the clunky clunkiest, dumbest lines with like, very smooth certainty and, and um she's great love her she's also like the blackest person on the show <laughs> she also clocks olivia's bullshit and calls her out on it consistently like she'll show up to town for the weekend to call olivia out and then just be out season three episode eight vermont is for lovers too this episode is cool because it's directed by ava duvernay Well, there is actually something super intense that happens with, like, uh, Candy Alexander chews through her own wrist 
to like uh, break out of prison, which is like, <laughs> which when I was watching it back, I'm not going to lie. Like I was eating and I shouldn't have been. <laughs> that like, was some G shit. <laughs> like, cause, and usually stuff like that doesn't gross me out, but like the sound editing is so good that you hear her like crunch, like, or you hear the, the bite through the skin and then the, the, and then the dripping of the blood, but then you also hear it like in her mouth. And then you hear it when she spits out the skin to like get to the vein. Like it is really graphic. That sound editing reminds me of um the sound editing and and we'll talk about this when we get to Spies and Lies. Um in the Americans, there's an episode of the Americans where they are like cra- like chopping up a body to put in a suitcase. And when like <laughs> Elizabeth and what's his face like break those bones oh my god i know exactly the episode you're talking about (laughs) like it is nuts but um it reminded me of that and i was just like well done so really quickly let's go through some other subplots of season three so i'm gonna like tick them off and then we can we can peruse them um the first is a congresswoman called josephine aka josie marcus who is running for the democratic party primary um she's played by lisa kudrow so that's like a, a subplot where they're trying to find dirt on her um the second um subplot um or minor plot is that sally langston's husband daniel is gay she finds this out she becomes furious and she murders him and calling cyrus for help and then the season ends with tom one of the president's security killing his son his oldest son jerry when season four opens tom frames jake for it but really he killed jerry on rowan's orders because rowan was on some well fitz took my child so i'm gonna take his child which what does that even mean (laughs) what does it mean make it make sense man (laughs) it's understandable to me that rowan would be possessive of like olivia and like her body and like the things that she does like that makes sense to me but killing Jerry for it didn't make sense. What would make more sense would be that Rowan tries to assassinate Fitz, but like they had, we, they already did it. That's what it felt like. It, is that they were like, oh, we can't have Fitz be assassinated again, or like another assassination attempt because we just did mm-hmm. that. Um, I think that's my takeaway from season three. This is one of the messiest seasons. There's too much going on. There's a lot of loose threads. Um, things that should have been explored more weren't. Things that shouldn't have ever even been there are. We find out that, like, Jerry is really actually... It's not even Fitz's son. It's Fitz's dad's son from the rape. Like, it's a whole disaster. I think this is one of the few times I actually thought Olivia did the right thing for the right reasons. So, like, we find out that Melly was raped by... Um, Fitz's father, um, Fitz Grant II, a.k.a. Big Jerry, when they when the two of them were first married and they were living with his in his father's um, mansion and she never said anything about it. She was pregnant shortly after and she's always wondered, you know, who his father is. So they got a paternity test. Olivia saw the results that show that Jerry Fitz's father is is the father of her first son and she she paid the the company and swapped out the results to say that it's Fitz's son. This is the single nicest thing she's ever done for for Melly. Yeah. Um I hate the rape plot. I hate the Melly rape plotline cuz it's I truly hate it. 
I hate it for several reasons. I hate it first and foremost because it's it's not it's not of anything. It doesn't really further her character in any type of way. Like it's it's literally just there for Melly to get raped. And um one. And then two, it's done essentially to it's done also for the purpose of like making me feel bad for Melly as a character or having me sympathize with her. And I, I hate that. I hate it. It should have never been there in the first place. I agree. Um, like, first of all, I was already sympathetic to the Melly character. I don't know why you guys had to introduce a rape plot. I think she's a much more sympathetic character than our protagonist. That's for sure. And secondly, um, you know, it, I think it was supposed to also show that they used to have a very different relationship, at least sexually, before the rape. But you could have done that using the Andrew character and built upon their emotional affair to show why the relationship between Molly and Fitz changed, right? This idea right. that she was raped, that the, I, this idea that she was raped by her father-in-law, that her, her first child is his son, and that Fitz is really Jerry's half-brother and not his father— was just really, really ugly and unnecessary because it didn't even it didn't even engender the sympathy of the Fitz character. Olivia straight up tells this man, not that Jerry's not his son, but that like his father raped his wife. And he's he feels bad for about five minutes. Like he doesn't right. even go to console her. <laughs> they don't and and right, it's also done to then like further assassinate the Fitz character. Like, so it's like yeah, it just makes you hate him more because of this lack of compassion. Which is like, which also doesn't make any sense because I'm like, that's never been their relationship. And listen, like I said, this is another sort of example of this show not caring about its characters, not caring about the story that it's telling, and instead wants to be like hashtag woke and not tailoring the story to who they've established these characters to be. Had they gone with consistency, when Mel- when Melly tells Fitz, like, Big Jerry raped me, if you can if you insist on going with this rape storyline, which I would not have because it's dumb and I hate it, being true to they were being true to his character, he'd be like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, what do you need from me? I'm sorry I couldn't be there because like we were the team. I let you down. Like that's what he would have he would have immediately been contrite. Right. And this would have done worlds to not only repair their friendship, but repair the Fitz character. Like if you if you had to have the rape plot line, that was the best way to utilize it. Right. Because um, and at the end of the day, she did. She's not even the one who said that her that his father raped her. Like Olivia is the one that's like Big Jerry raped her. Right. Um, Why is Olivia telling him? Right. That's not even your secret to tell, sis. Like, obviously, she had her reasons for for no matter how bad things got between them, swallowing this. Like, she would rather have a fix a marriage pregnancy and induce labor than tell her husband what happened because she felt so much shame. That's not your story to tell. This is why Scandal for me is ugly, because it really does prove those people who make that argument correct. Like, yeah, like when you do, like when you're trying to be hashtag woke or like hashtag inclusive or like hashtag diversity, like this is, you're, they're right. Like this is what happens because the Fitz character sort of being like, you're a liar. Is that realistic? Is that how like men respond? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. of course we know that, but, um, 
it doesn't make any sense like with the story that you've told so far like it doesn't have any sort of like bearing or 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 a consistency in anything well see and this is my thing i don't see the show as woke at all um i think the show wanted to be woke but like this reaction like you said it is a typical reaction it's not the woke enlightened man reaction the reaction that he has later where he like he he he's like okay you know what he probably did rape her is more on the woke side but still not all the way there the show doesn't fail because it's trying to be woke the show fails because it thinks it's woke but it's just following the status quo every single time <laughs> right it's not it's just not presenting it it's not presenting to it's just it's just a disaster that's what it is so and like you said it doesn't it doesn't like it's like the writers don't remember previous episodes and they do not cultivate storylines based on who these people are already established as right and and in fact this is where you sort of see how like the like twitter and like like I said, all this, like, wanting to be woke and wanting all this stuff and not necessarily having a strong commitment to story and want and just wanting something to, like, trend or wanting something to be, like, hashtag worthy will, will, will be a detriment to the series and to television writing in general. Because I remember... Because um, I remember when all this stuff, when it was airing... And when I would watch it from week to week and like Fitz would be like, you're a liar. Or they would have somebody making some speech about, or like Melly makes some sort of histronic speech about like, I'm a woman and it's my turn. Um, <laughs> I remember being like, people being like, yes, queen. Oh my God. So amazing. Um, and then, like, hash, and then, like, when Fitz is like, you're a liar. It's like, ew, typical man, hashtag believe women, hashtag uh, rape culture. And I'm like, but, like, you got, to, but, like, is anything making sense, though? Like, on the, sh- like, but, like, this doesn't, and I remember being like, but this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, and I think that's what was going on. The show wasn't woke, but its viewership was and was trying to make it woke. <laughs> right. And, like, and there, and it's interesting because it's like it became some sort of like feedback loop between the writers and the show, and then like Twitter. It was, it's, and this is, and that really is why Scandal is is interesting. Is interesting, and then not the show itself. Watching it back, like you're just like this is a this is a mess. Like I don't know what's going on here, but like shit needs to be fixed. Like yesterday, see, but seeing it play back out in real time, it's clear that like the writers started writing for like Twitter reactions versus caring about story. Season three though is a mess. It's, it's bad wholesale. Um, yeah, I agree that season three is bad. Season three left us with Olivia and Jake running off to some secluded destination to be together. And they um, come back. Yeah, Harrison's death brings her home for his funeral. And she stays to figure out who killed the president's son, Jerry Grant. Tom names Jake as the operator, doubles down on that, and tries to convince everyone that Jake is guilty. And after they force Tom to reveal that he did it and that Rowan is his operator, Fitz, Jake, and Olivia come up with a plan to arrest 
Rowan, but he's smarter than all of them. So the plan fails. Duh. And, oh, and now Abby is the White House press secretary, which yes. he deserves. Free freedom for Abby <laughs> to freedom. Olivia should have stayed on that island. She has like a really great uh, curly wig that's happening. She looks great. She looks really well rested. That water is so blue. She's getting like fresh fruit and baguettes, a very expensive wine imported. Should have stayed with that. Should have kept doing whatever that was. But, uh, you know, she doesn't want to be happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to be happy. And you can tell like she's back in her mode. And and like even like Jake understands that, you know, the, the holiday is over because she she comes off and she walks up into the White House or comes to the funeral with that fresh press. So we already know what it is. It's not right. laid back Olivia anymore. <laughs> he knew but, from the second he saw her straighten her hair out, that shit was over. Over. Um but yeah, Columbus Short's character Harrison was killed off the show because of a domestic violence issue with his wife. Um, so even though I didn't agree with the killing of the Harrison character because I thought he was an interesting character that they could have done more with, I understand from a behind-the-scenes perspective why he was killed off. They come back. We've got this whole thing surrounding Jerry's death and B613. And the Abby character is kind of extrapolated upon a bit more because now that she's White House press secretary... Um, she's more, she is around her ex-husband who is the Virginia state Senator. Now, Abby was a lot like, a lot like Melly when she was a bit younger. She was in one of those political arranged marriages, except that her husband was an abuser and her loyalty to Olivia is not simply from drinking the Kool-Aid. It's a loyalty born of gratitude that Olivia literally saved her life in that relationship and got her out of it. Right. And Olivia traded on that gratitude for like a really long time. Once you get past season two, it's all about moments, um, good and bad and all in between. One thing that we see is like Melly is is very much going through like a really public grief in terms of grieving her son's death. You know, everybody's there for her. Everyone is sort of trying to let her do whatever she needs to do to feel good and to to get through that however she needs to get through that it's just like not good writing because now we've i don't know i don't feel bad for that i just generally don't feel bad for the melee character and like because i'm maybe because i live in season one through season two when the show made some semblance of sense (laughs) and i don't and i don't i don't i do like seriously like i just live in season one and season two and um i don't by I don't take those retcons because like so by now we've had like a bunch of character retcons that don't make sense to me and like don't make and don't track with any of these characters and like it feels like it's all been done out of like a desire for like to be quote unquote woke but then like you want me to then you but then you want me to be callous towards someone's suicide attempt so like I just I'm not feeling any of it at this point this point I'm yeah. just like okay like I'm like okay like this is stuff that's happening I guess like it's callous it's unnecessary it makes no sense or it just falls in line with very toxic status quos I think a, there's a lot of projection in the viewership of the show because the show I watch is not woke or even self-aware at all <laughs> Right. But speaking of inconsistencies 
and retcons, the Andrew Nichols character goes through a full-blown character assassination in season four. He orchestrates the kidnapping of Olivia to go to war with Angola, and then later has an affair with Melly that he threatens to expose to the press. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That was dumb. <laughs> Lord, fix it. I hated it. I and, like, like, there was nothing like this in the Andrew character, right? Like, the Andrew character was the only one who knew about Melly's rape, and he kept her secret for years. Even though they weren't sleeping together, it was, like, an emotional affair. He was always very kind to her. He was Fitz's running mate back when he was governor. Like, he was never this person. And then they made him this person in season four. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't—he was, like, a like Like, like you said, they they make villains of people who, like, why when you already have so many villains on the show? Right, you have Eli Pope and you have Sally Langston, who are some heavy hitters. I think the 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 Jake Ballard character is someone who um and and the other B six thirteen offsprings like Huck and Charlie very much live in a gray area where you can tip the scales in any direction, right? So why do we need to make Andrew a villain too? <laughs> The purpose is they won't let Melly be happy, sis. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, they won't let Melly be happy. This is also the season where, either this season or the season prior, Jake had killed Cyrus's husband, James. And in this season, he starts sleeping with an escort named Michael, and who he would later go on to marry too. But Michael is the first spouse of the three spouses he's had because he married a woman before he was married to James. The, this is the only spouse he's ever been honest with about and who then, and what he is. And I think it's because, like, James is, like, initially James is, like, a plant from somebody, right? Like, James is a sex worker. No, Michael, yeah. Michael oh, is not, a sex not worker. James. Being not James, paid by, Michael, yeah. Yeah, he's being paid by Elizabeth North, who is played by um, Portia Rossi or Portia de la Rossi. Oh, Portia um, de la Rossi, yeah. Uh, who's another character that could have been a villain because like the actress looks like an ice queen. It's so easy to make people believe that she's evil if you want to, (laughs) but I still feel like that was an opportunity wasted because I would have liked to see like, uh, uh, Elizabeth North, Sally Langston, meaning of the minds on some super villain shit. (laughs) Right. It It was always there. It was always there, but they didn't, I don't know. They don't want nice things or something. So, the the rest of the season is sort of, um, it's Olivia recovering from the trauma of this place where she was kidnapped into. It's everybody trying to, like, cover up, like, the coup and all this sort of, like, back half stuff. And cover up the fact that the president went to war over his mistress. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hate it. Um, messy. <laughs> yeah, messy. So... In the back half of season four, there's like a, there's a Black Lives Matter episode. Do you want to talk about it? I don't. I, I wish it never happened. Same. Okay, I wish so, it never happened. So this is one of the shows I feel like real legitimate attempts to be woke. And it is so, it missed the mark by a country mile. Let's just say that. It's terrible. I hate it. It's just so bad. I don't like any of it. Um, yeah, because it, it was it kind of does that thing that happens on political or cop um, procedural shows where um, it's like, you know, the government isn't really your enemy. We just got to we just got to change hearts and minds of particular people when in actuality, the reverse is true. It's it's the larger um, issue of 
institutionalized racism that bleeds out into different systems and corrupts the minds of individuals. Like people don't just decide that they're racist, right? It's right. something that you are you are bred in, into. <laughs> right. And I think the thing that bugs me about the Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter episode, aka um season four, episode 14, The Lawn Chair, uh, is that like so up until this point, Olivia is shown as somebody who doesn't like who I would have never thought even gave half a shit about black people. <laughs> mm, same. Like, I'm just like, so like, I don't believe it. I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, honey, like you got your Republican boyfriend. You stole the election for your Republican boyfriend. Like, like your white Republican boyfriend. Like you don't give a shit. Like you care about you and, like, other people are just, like, whatever. You don't so, even like, have any black friends. You don't even have any black friends. Like. <laughs> you know how hard you have to work to not have any black friends in D.C.? Do that's you? That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> like, bitch, that's where Howard is. Like, you know how hard you have to work? <laughs> Listen, you are not in Iowa, sis. You can have black friends if you wanted them. <laughs> I hated it so much. Um, All of a sudden, she's she's woke and she's trying to stop this violence against young black men. And I'm like, that was a 180, man. That was a 180. <laughs> I was like, what is this show right now? Uh, and like, he's sit- the the guy is sitting and the like. They even like have like a good sort of like magical Negro looking man sitting in the lawn chair with this gun. I'm like, Lord Jesus. What is this episode? I just, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm so exhausted with the writing. I mean, like I said, the Olivia character is generally one that's more hypocritical than inconsistent, but this episode was completely inconsistent with her. You could have taken this this episode out and still understood the Olivia, Olivia character perfectly. This was to throw a wrench in the Olivia, Olivia character. This was supposed to give us an Olivia that was, um, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter and woke and aware where such an Olivia had never been seen before. And y'all could have kept this episode. Right. I mean, you have like, <laughs> and it's even more laughable because legitimately like in this, in this Black Lives Matter episode, you have a scene in where Melly is like yelling at Fitz of like, how dare you want, how dare you pick a vice president who is, female and Latina fits like <laughs> I hate this show like, like you ha- like Fitz is cause Fitz has to replace Andrew you know so he's looking for VPs and he wants this woman and Ma- and Melly's like you she's like you want it she's like you were supposed to pick somebody unelectable and now you're picking a vp who's female and latina and charismatic fits it's supposed to be my turn and i'm like oh jesus oh yes that was so ugly um but it's but it's but tell me that's not hashtag white feminism (laughs) i hated it like (laughs) i could not She's like when you're she, working that hard to go against another woman's aims, that's like peak white feminism. That's peak white feminism. So like, um, 
it's it's just ridiculous. Um, they end up he ends up picking this Susan Ross character who I only talk about Susan Ross because she she's Susan Ross is the MVP. She'll be the only watchable person <laughs> throughout the rest of the series. Uh, she's like the only person whose moral compass is firmly north. Small mercies, you know what I mean? Small mercies. Um, this is also the season where like we meet Mama Pope again, Maya comes back, and Maya, Olivia, and Jake decide to reveal B613 to the CIA, but that shit backfires because B613's roots run deep, deep, deep. Right. And, and I mean, Maya was taking her life into her own hands by even coming back here because she's on a terror watch list. And then we'll get like more B613 teas, uh, with, you know, the whole thing becomes like, where they're trying to like bring down command. That's like the new thing. It's the new of like they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to take apart B six thirteen because it's an evil organization. Because this show has like two shows going in it. <laughs> like that's literally this show is like there's two shows happening at the same time. Yeah, but um, this be a show about B six thirteen, and I would have probably watched that over Scandal. I really would have. Um, and so the season ends with Papa with Melly sort of gearing up for this big Senate run. Uh, she's campaigning, and and she sits down unknowingly with Olivia's dad, um, and he uh, gets her to reveal the names of like some jurors that are going to be on a case and then he and then he kills them. So then essentially Melly is indirectly responsible for the murder of of 13 jurors who were on their way to like, you know, either jurors or like some grand jury, j- grand jury to indict the people who killed Jerry. And the season will end with Olivia choosing Fitz for realsies this time. Which by now it's just too little too late. Like, you know, you're just like who cares? I'm I I am emotionally like divorced myself from their relationship back in season two, honestly. Season four was okay. So here's the thing about season four: so many things happen in season four that I can't even rate it. Oh, it's I was, too much. It's well, see, and then I think even that is a categorized to put it in the bad category. Like if you're having so much stuff that I can't even. It's, it's, I don't it's even know what this is supposed to be. <laughs> that's what I'm know. saying. I don't know what this is supposed to be anymore. And that's the, and that's it. That's why the show, I think from here on, probably from here on out, like I'm giving it a bad every single season. Cause like from here, I don't even know what's supposed to be going on. Like, I think the show honestly kept viewership. Cause like I said, I think people were p- trying to project wokeness onto it and the strength of the actors, the material, the material, is lackluster at best, convoluted at worst. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's convoluted at best. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, probably like convoluted at, at best and completely nonsensical at worst. worst. Um, like it, like so many things. It's like, why is this here? Why is this necessary? How does this make sense? How does this track, track with the character as we have come to know them? Why is this character behaving in this way? Right. Like literally the only characters that stay on course from beginning to end are the David Rosen character and the Cyrus Bean character. That's it. That's it. That's it. Nobody else. And it, it shows. It's just so apparent. 
Like, you know, when sometimes so much stuff is going on and you're like, maybe it's good and I don't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like Maybe it's me. I don't understand. But I feel like these seasons are like the emperor's new clothes of television. Like uh, people, so many people said it was good that I'm like, maybe I should find it good too. <laughs> I think season four is what happens when you get into that, when you as like a showrunner and a writer are are too much into that Twitter feedback loop when you, when you're, when you focus on it too much. I said this before and I'll say it again. Y'all got to stop writing for these audiences. You got to stop it. You have to create these characters and then just see them through. You You can't be just like just retroactively creating new personalities for people based on the new story that you want to write. (laughs) I think in, in, and not even that, I think, I'm dead serious, and like what I think would happen is that these char- like they would write these characters, they would they would have like a vision, and they would write these characters, right? And then they would like get on Twitter, and then like a character would do something, and then somebody on Twitter would bring up, "This is like not the experience because hashtag like because da 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 da," and then they'd be like, "Oh shit!" Like, well, maybe we should like rewrite them to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I really do think that's what happened. Like, they would be like, they, like, they would get on, they would write the uh, the character in the episode, and then Melly would be like, um, and then Olivia would do something. And then they'd be like, that's not feminist, because this, 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 this. And this is, like, my experience as a person, person, person. And they'd be like, oh, shit, well, like, maybe we need to, like, write it like that. Instead of, like, be like, huh. And then trying to find a way to, like, think about that. Mm-hmm. But, like, still tailored the story to these characters that, like, you've already developed and made sense. Right. And I think part of this is also writers going, and I, I call it the TVD effect, not wanting to hold characters accountable for shit. Like, it's not inconsistent or a rebrand if a character starts off as a sh- shitty person and is held accountable or holds themselves accountable, makes their amends, and starts making better decisions from here on out. You're throwing me, you're giving me so, so much whiplash with these characters that do good things and then bad things and then do good things and bad things and good things and bad things. All of this shit is supposed to be a part of their character. It's difficult when you have a character who is unpredictable. Like the 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 things around your character, the events around your character should be unpredictable. Your character should not be so unpredictable that they feel like an unknown in season two, in season three, in season four. You understand me? Right. Like, what you guys are doing right now is literally like, oh, the thing we did last week or last season was trash. Instead of having the character admit it was trash and growing as a person, let's just have them do something completely different now. (laughs) Hats off to the casting directors and the cast on this show. You picked the right people, and these people really delivered. You know, just from episode to episode, not for, like, the duration of the season, but... You can watch each episode and pretend it's a close episodic and believe everything that's coming out of their mouths. And that's as an and that's eventually like what happened with the viewing audience. A lot of cognitive cognitive dissonance happen among the viewers in order to keep being a fan of the show and keep participating in the show. That this is how you had to view it to like right. get by. <laughs> That's how you have to be to get by. So what's what's ultimately your grade, season four? Bad. Bad. It's bad. 
because it's, it's 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 deeply confusing to me. Like I said, I feel like this is the emperor's new clothes. And there you have it, folks. Uh, this is everything that we think made the first half of Scandal good, bad, basic, and addictive. If you'd like to check the series, Scandal is currently streaming over on Netflix. It's also free on Vudu and Tubi apps. Please leave your comments below and let us know what you thought of the series. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Scandal Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be concluding our discussion on Scandal and discussing the back half of the series, seasons five through seven. The episode goes live next Thursday. In the meantime, Alex and I will be discussing our thoughts on the Oscar nominees for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Director, among others, for the 2020 Oscars. We will be announcing the nominees on our Twitter and Instagram, and would love to have you all weigh in with your thoughts on the Oscar hopefuls before our episode airs. Our Oscars bonus episode will be available for all patrons and goes live this Saturday. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Twitter and Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.